0: Coming up on Studios America author Spencer Corson is here with some important tips on how to stay safe in your home in a world gone insane and the CDC has acknowledged that COVID-19 is an airborne virus. Does that mean I can stop bumping elbows with everyone like an idiot? I don't know. All aboard the woke train. If you are a fan of animated movies and theme parks, that is, we have the internal documents that show the house of mouse is going as bonkers as everyone else in our society. So let's do Woke Disney.
1: Stu Does America.
0: Welcome to the program today. Thank you for coming back. I appreciate you showing up here every day. I don't know why you do it, but I'm glad you do. You know, every uh, Disney movie has, you know, you have the the hero of the story. That's a big part of this. Um, when you're making a Disney movie, you have the weird villains and then you have the, the, the hero, the one that brings it all home, you got to have somebody to cheer for, whether it's a princess or a prince or, you know, I don't know, some Robin Hood that's a fox. I think Robin Hood was a fox in that movie. I don't know. I don't remember. My, my point here, though, is there's a hero to this story, too, and we've talked to him before several times, but we should point out that Christopher Rufo is I, he's like a one man wrecking crew of of critical race theory and crazy woke uh, nonsense. He has been uh, digging out internal document after internal document after internal document and been able to expose more in school systems and companies, and in this case Disney, really than anyone else in America that I'm aware of. I mean, I, there's some really good reporters out there, some really good commentators who have done great work, but Chris Rufo has really been at the top of this list. I mean, it's been pretty impressive. Uh, and he was able to get a hold of internal documents from Disney. Now, this is, of course, people going through this wonderfully enlightening uh, training uh, as an employee with the Disney Corporation. This is going on all over America. It's not just Disney, but Disney has a specific role in our society, right? Disney is kind of what you you think of Disney as a, a company you can trust, right? You can just plop your kid in front of the TV and the mouse will say things that might be a little strange from time to time. But generally speaking, you're going to get messages that are safe for kids from the actual Disney branded stuff. Well, I don't know. Can you do that anymore? I think Glenn Beck, who was a big Disney guy, would tell you you needed to stop that a very long time ago. But many people are out there thinking, well, Disney's safe territory, right? Can that be a safe space for my kids? I don't know. Let me walk you through some of these documents. Uh, These, again, come from Christopher Ruffo. He's got an uh, uh, article in uh, City Journal called The Wokest... Place on earth, and he goes through all of this. I want to take you through some of it. We're going to talk to Chris, I think, on radio this week as well. You don't want to miss that. Uh, first of all, he says this Scoop, Walt Disney Corporation claims that America was founded on systemic racism, which is amazing. Encourages employees to complete a white privilege checklist and separates minorities into racially segregated affinity groups. I've obtained the internal documents that will shock you. I have in my hand right here the uh, self assessment how privileged are you this is the white privilege checklist we're talking about what is there oh 60 70 things on here maybe we'll do a whole maybe do a live stream or something where we just go through all of these because i think i want to see how privileged i am i don't feel all that privilege but you know maybe i am and i just don't recognize it and that's why i need this checklist to tell me about how privileged i am Um, We have the cover page, this is it. The Walt Disney Company, Reimagine Tomorrow. What can I do about racism? An anti-racism discussion guide. What's shocking to me at some level is how these companies have not understood how toxic this stuff is yet. You know, sometimes these little training um, programs go through, you know, whether it's like a sexual harassment training program, And you might just be like, I'm just going to sign up for the sexual harassment training program because, of course, I don't want anyone to be sexually harassed at my company. And, you know, there are boxes we need to check with HR and and I understand how that works. So I don't know. Give me whatever one will come in here and do it. And I don't know you pick. And maybe there could be one of those programs that really is not doing the job. That you wanted to do with maybe it's not teaching about sexual harassment maybe it's teaching some critical race theory thing however at this point you'd be surprised you know largely because of the the reporting work that chris Rufo has done that these companies would not be aware of this yet it makes you think that they are embracing it right it's not just some passing thing let me give you some of this this is um di- again the Disney Corporation. Here's what they're telling their employees: If you are feeling confused, shocked, or have recently awakened to your systemic racism, recognize that this is probably not new to your Black African American colleagues. Avoid messages like "I can't believe this is happening." <laughs> I'm. I know this is happening, and I'm happy about it. The murders of Brianna Taylor, Sean Reed, Ahmad Arbery, George Floyd, Tony McDade, Nina Pop. Rashard Brooks, Adam Treor, and countless others are part of a long history of systemic racism and transphobia. Well, uh, first of all, they're not countless others. We know how many are uh, we we know how many are in this situation every year. There's statistics released on this. And of course, that's the problem. You can't give the statistics because the statistics don't really win people over. It doesn't seem like as big a problem as you're trying to make it out to be. So you instead give a list of names. And that is really the the functional argument behind systemic racism, a list of names. If you can come up with five or six names and then say and countless others, seems like it's infinity, right? It goes on forever. And that's how racist uh, we are. Again, the transphobia thing is a whole nother situation. We need to do a show on this soon um, because uh, that one is is uh, they are. They're going crazy on that, trying to make certain things look like uh, transphobia when they blatantly are not. We'll get into that maybe in another show. Uh, they also say, you know, there's something emotionally taxis- taxing about racism. Take ownership of, of educating yourself about structural anti-black racism in the current and historical context. Opt for sources from black authors, journalists and organizations. Do not rely on your black colleagues to educate you. This is emotionally taxing. Okay. so. You are racist. You don't understand how racist you are, but don't ask a black person if you're racist because that will be emotionally taxing. Instead, read black people's journalism and reporting on your racism, which, again, is it racist? I'm just asking a question because, as you know, white guy haven't filled out my checklist yet. so I'm not exactly sure how racist I am, but I assume pretty racist based on this type of stuff. Is it racist to pick your journalist based on skin color? Because, like, that would be, as I grew up, and again, I grew up in a white supremacist society, obviously, we all know that, but, like, wouldn't it be racist to choose my journalist uh, based on their skin color? Like, isn't that, like, the definition of racism? I gotta read further, maybe I'll find out. Um, Reflect on the diversity of your personal and professional networks and how racial and other dimensions of your identity uh, give or do not give, you access and advantage. Proximity to black people or being part of a marginalized group does not mean you cannot harbor bias. That's interesting. Acknowledge your emotional reactions in this process the source of discomfort and productive ways to address it. Examine and work through your feelings of guilt, shame, and defensiveness to understand what is beneath them and what needs to be healed. If you're a racist, yeah, you should be healed. You have a a, a toxic ideology, but that's what this is. This is racism. We just talked about it. Uh, You don't choose where you go out to eat. Based on race. You don't choose where you what movies you watch based on race. You don't choose your journalists based on race. Don't make any decisions in your entire life that are based on skin color. That's really a simple rule that we should all be following. But that's actually very toxic, according to to the Walt freaking Disney Corporation. By the way, we have a response from Walt Disney on all of this, we'll give it to you here in a second. Do not question or debate black colleagues' lived experience, acknowledge and listen with empathy when black colleagues share their lived experiences. So I don't know exactly, like I guess maybe if someone says something and they say that was racism, you can't say actually that seems totally normal and not racist. You can't have that conversation. We need a conversation about race in this country, but lots of stuff that you might say in that conversation is banned. So I don't know how you're gonna have the conversation, unfortunately. Um, You could try to understand it, but that would probably be racist too. I will say, do not question or debate black colleagues' lived experience. It's really interesting in that, like, this this is turning black people into children Right. You might say uh, your your four year old might come to you and say, I'm a superhero and I can fly. And you might want to say, hey, actually, don't jump off that second story building because you might die. And you're not supposed to in this world react to that. You're not supposed to say, well, maybe, you know, what you're saying is wrong. You can't debate an African-American's lived experience. Well, what about our lived experience as a white person, let's say? I happen to be to fit into a couple of very neat groups. White, cis, boring, overweight. What about my overweight uh, experience in life? Do I get to talk to anybody about that? Um, I think we're in a majority overweight country. So we're maybe we're not the oppressed ones. But think about again, this is racism. It should be clear that this is racism as I screw around and joke about this stuff. Do not question or debate black colleagues lived experience. Do white People get lived experience that don't get any debate. Are they allowed to have that? I don't. I have no problem with you debating me over my lived experiences. That's life. Something happens to you. You take it one way. I should be able to come to you and say, you know, after you tell me that story, maybe you should look at it from this perspective. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. Right. Taking someone from another culture's experience and saying, hey, you know, let me uh, let me chime in on this one is actually a way that we grow together as a society. They That's now eliminated at the Mouse Company, which is bizarre. Looking forward, this is amazing. This one in particular is amazing, because if you grew up thinking that Martin Luther King was a good person and what he believed in was a good thing, the idea that we would all live together and that Skin color would be the same as hair color. Skin color would be the same as eye color. Skin color would be the same as any other immutable characteristic you might have. How bushy are your eyebrows, right? Like that's, that's the level skin color should be on, right? It means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay. The color of your eyes means absolutely nothing. The color of your skin means absolutely nothing. We can notice it. We can say, oh, that's interesting. It may, because of your heritage, not because of your skin color, but just because of who your parents were and who your grandparents were and where they came from, might lead to some cultural things in your life. has nothing to do with your skin color, but it has something to do with uh, where you came from and who your parents are and how you were how you were raised. And that can lead to some cultural differences. But skin color really has nothing to do with it and should be put on the lowest pedestal possible. It should be something that we don't care about in any way. That's how we all grew up. That was the, that was the, 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 utopia that was talked about. At some point, we'll all forget about this and we'll all act as if none of it matters because you know what? None of it matters. That's not what Disney thinks though. Here we go. Looking forward, equity, not equality. Equity, equality is a noble goal. Equal treatment and access to opportunities help us perform our best within a shared set of parameters, but we really need to be striving for equity, where we focus on the equality of the outcome, not the equality of the experience by taking individual needs and skills into account. This used to be the thing we would all agree on, right? Like conservatives would come out and say what the left wants is equal equality of outcomes, not equality of opportunities. And the left would say, wait a minute. No, no, no. Wait a- Look, we just are saying that we need the same opportunities and you don't want to give it to to black people because you're a racist. And we would say, no, we just want equality of opportunities. You just can't control equality of outcomes. Now they're saying it; they're just coming out and saying, "Nope, what we want is equality of outcomes. That's the country and the mouse you're living with right now. Um, How about, uh, this is amazing, white privilege. I can take a job with an affirmative action employer without having my coworkers on the job suspect that I got it because of my race. These are like different quotes from various people who might uh, you might work with. I do not have to educate my children and be aware of systemic racism for their own daily physical protection. I'm never asked to speak for all the people of my racial group. Again, so much of this is collectivism, right? Everybody's in a group. Everybody's a group based on skin color. But then at the same time, uh, it's bad to be able to have to speak for your own racial group. I never speak for my own racial group, and I would fall right into this category. I am never asked to speak for all the people of my racial group. I don't identify with my racial group. Sure, am I pasty white? Yes, everyone can see that. But I never think of myself as, you know what I am today? I'm a white person, and I'm living a white experience, and I want to be white. And because of this crazy critical race theory that's seeped into everything right now, that's bad. If you don't think of yourself as a person of whatever race you're in, you are a racist for that. That's your white privilege talking if you happen to be white. What can you do personally to make a change or pivot from the left column to the right column? Why? What are the left column and the right column here? Well, the norm of white-dominant culture or something different. So we want to go from the white-dominant culture we have today to something different, figure out how to do that. Uh, Chris Rufo writes about the... I mean, this is just so much. So much of this is it's hard to believe it's actually taken hold of all of these companies. Disney recommends that employees read a how to guide called 75 things white people can do for racial justice. The article tells readers to defund the police, participate in reparations, decolonize your bookshelf. And find and join a local white space. Also, I promised to tell you about these affinity groups here with Here they are. Disney has launched regu- racially segregated affinity groups for minority employees with the goal of achieving culturally, culturally authentic insights. The Latino group was named. Hola. Hola. Uh, the uh, then there's the Asian group named Compass. I don't know. I don't know why. Oh, do, do Asians and compasses? See, I have a lot to learn about culture, don't I? Do, is compass an Asian thing? I Maybe it is. I don't know. I, I frankly don't know the history of the compass. I know George Washington had one. That's about as far back as I go. Um, and of course, I mean, because Disney is pathetic, their group for African-Americans is named Wakanda. <laughs> <laughs> named after that terrible movie. It's a terrible movie. Don't tell me any different. And it's not because of my racism. It's because I've seen other movies. If you've only seen one movie and it's about Wakanda, you might think it's good. But no, there are movies that are actually good, not about Wakanda. Here is the response to, I think I just want to, before I read the response, I want you to think about what this response is. Chris Rufo, who's a guy who comes on this stupid show. He'll lower himself to come on this show. But he's just a guy trying to find out the truth and obtaining documents. Um, This guy has elicited a response from the Disney Corporation. The fact that we're highlighting this stuff uh, across the conservative side of the aisle mostly, but also I will say some liberals have jumped on on the board with this as well. Some sane ones. It's making a difference. Here is the uh, response. At least he got a response from Disney. These internal documents are being deliberately distorted. As reflective of company policy, when in fact their purpose was to allow diversity of thought and discussion on the incredibly complex and challenging issues of race and discrimination that we as a society and companies nationwide are facing. The Disney brand has a long history of inclusivity, and it's, it's got a history, I'll say that, with stories that are reflect acceptance and tolerance and celebrate people's differences, as we have consistently demonstrated in such popular films as Moana, <laughs> Coco. Black Panther, you remember, we named, we named that one group Wakanda, so we're okay there. Uh, Soul and Raya, the last dragon, uh, and a, uh, Raya and the last dragon, excuse me, and a global uh, entertainment company that we are committed to tell stories that reflect the rich diversity of the human experience from the Walt Disney Corporation. So basically, they're just saying, look, well, we haven't implemented all these things as policy, but we are making people go through this. Fine. If it was really about diversity of thought, does Richard Spencer get to make this? Does he get to make a presentation, too? Does Rich get to come in and say, look, we just think this is a white country. It's founded by white people. You know, it's a white identitarian sort of vibe here. So let's go with that. You know, black people can have their own country over in Wakanda. Does he get to come in and do that? Because that's diversity of thought. That's the other side of this coin. The other side of this coin, this racist coin, is racism. It's one kind of racism for one race, one kind of racism for the other race. That's what this is. This critical race theory is, in and of itself, just racism wrapped up and accepted by corporations, just like corporations in Disney's era accepted the other kind of racism. It wasn't acceptable then, and it's not acceptable now. All right, you're standing on the wine aisle, you're staring at the shelves. Do you want California red? Maybe one from Oregon. Maybe uh, the one with a really cool label. Uh, That's what I, I think so often I go and buy wine for people at the store for a gift or something and I just pick the label that looks cool. That's a dumb way to buy buy wine. You need an expert on your side. You need First Leaf. It's a better way to discover wine. First Leaf is a fully customizable wine club. They send curated boxes of wine that are perfect for you. How do they they know they're perfect for you? They don't know you, right? Well, you get to go on and you actually take kind of like a quiz of the types of wines that you like, the types of things that you like, uh, the flavors and and, and different uh, characteristics of each bottle of wine. And then they put it all together and pick the wine based on your own recommendations. My wife has gone through this. She's the big wine drinker in the family. Um, I don't want to say that she's a lush or anything, but she likes her wine. And she went through the the whole situation. She went through the whole First Leaf questionnaire, and then she got a box of wine delivered to the house that she absolutely loved, and uh, and they can come. you know. I mean, they just keep giving it to you. I mean, so if you like your wine, you can get your wine. First Leaf uh, also means big savings, up to 60% off retail. It's really, really reasonable. Save time, money, and stress with First Leaf, the wine club designed with you in mind. Listen to this. Six bottles of wine for $29.95. I mean, come on, you can't beat that. Plus, free shipping. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash stew. Tryfirstleaf.com slash stew. Six bottles of wine, $29.95. Free shipping. Tryfirstleaf.com slash stew. Happy to welcome back to the program a somehow sober Spencer Corson. He's the founder of the Corson Security Group and the author of the upcoming book, uh, the Safety Trap, a security expert's secrets for staying safe in a dangerous world, which will be available for purchase everywhere on May 18th. Make sure to pre-order your copy today. I say sober because you were here for the Power Hour. I was, and the place looks different through <laughs> more clear eyes. Yes, it does. It um, does. It's a whole new experience. But always great to see you. Yeah, it was great. It's great to have that you. That was a miserable flight home. Oh, man. I don't know. Yeah, if you watch the Power Hour, by the way, it's available on YouTube. You can go check it out. Um, Spencer scheduled his flight for immediately after so he had to go and i mean after all those beers that was and, and not s- a good
1: flight home no.
0: <laughs> but you know hey you bounce back and here you are here we are uh ready to release a brand new book this brand is a big book. deal i'm very
1: excited thank about you it. thank yeah. you i'm very excited about it yeah. you have been wildly supportive thank you so much for for, for, the, for the radio of course it's great everything. information too for
0: the 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 listeners so let me let me start here you um <laughs> You posted this on social media like last, uh, earlier this it was, week. Uh, Monday. Monday, uh, where someone tried to break into your house, and you have them on camera. You, you, your neighbors had them on camera. So, <laughs> uh, this is you're just not the right person. Like if you're, if I'm going to buy someone
1: wrong house, <laughs> wrong house, it's just the wrong, wrong house. Wrong house. But the thing was, is I had just that Friday released a home security video, mm. like of like here are the five things you wanna like, if you're gonna conduct your own home security assessment, I have a whole thing in the book about uh, conducting your own personal threat assessment for mm-hmm. home school work life. So I kind of did a deep dive about here's the FOIL method for conducting your own home security assessment. Sure. Had a long day on Monday, this was a week ago today, go to bed around midnight and I'm just drained. 60 seconds, I'm out. Mm-hmm. 110 in the morning, Ronan, my service dog, German Shepherd, 110 pounds of pure muscle. <laughs> yes. Goes woof! Like, <laughs> Zero to hero like that. And this wasn't just like, a, oh, I wonder what's going on outside. Right. I hear a noise. Or, or this <laughs> was, dad, let me out to do my job. Yeah. So I s- sit right up. I see the motion lights like out my window are on. Look over at my phone. My uh, security alerts are going crazy. Look at my watch. Motion, back door, motion, back door. I'm like, oh, Jeez, we terrifying. are on. I have a Remington 870 by the bed. Get that up. Put it into action. Look at the camera feeds. And there's a bad guy trying to get through the fence to my back door. Now, you and I have talked about this before. Bad guys come during the day, they're coming for your stuff. Bad guys come at night, they're coming for you. Hmm. So I'm ready to rock. Ronan and I go towards the back door. I let Ronan out the back door, figuring if this guy gets through the gate, Ronan's going to block him. I go and bound bound around and flank out the front door, Mm -hmm. and I'm five seconds too late. Ronan was so much (laughs) faster than me at getting to the bad guy. That he was, uh, he had one foot off the property by the time I got out the front door. Mm. And uh, I mean, listen, if it, when we talk about, you know, not living in that, uh, that frame of mind where it's hyper, hyper vigilance or complacency, but that literally it can happen to anyone. Yeah. If I, I'm literally, it can happen to you. Yeah. I mean, You're, you've got a book called The Safety Trap. I have a book called The Safety Trap. I talk about home security yeah. all the time and then my house gets targeted.
0: Yeah. So for people who don't know you, you worked with Glenn. You were the head of Glenn Security for, I mean, a lot of years. A couple um, years. But it wasn't just Glenn. I mean, you worked with some of the biggest. I mean, you did stuff all over the globe. You were in the military. Um, you can tell people kind of like all the type of work you did.
1: Sure. So um I was. I'm a combat veteran, uh, former uh, airborne ranger in the U.S. Army, did uh, deployment to Afghanistan. Came back, did some diplomatic security work. Uh, then went to work for Gavin De Becker and Associates, which is widely considered to be the secret service of the private sector. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, was with was, was with Glenn for a while. Was with Amir, I know did, you can't name them, but yeah, uh, uh, let's uh, three hundred protective missions to 163 countries in about. 12 years. I
0: didn't even know there were 163 countries.
1: There's
0: 187. (laughs) Okay, there you go. (laughs) I've been to
1: 163
0: of them. Wow. Well, well, I mean, you're not even Uh. Um, (laughs) well-traveled. The safety trap is an interesting concept, right? Thank you. Because people think of safety as an end goal, right? I know Mike Rowe says often that uh, he hates the phrase safety first because it puts you in the wrong mindset, right? The safety trap is like you have this idea that there's that you're in this safe uh, position. I, 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 as you were talking about this on radio this morning, and it's worth going back listening to the interview from with Glenn uh, from earlier today. Sure. But like I was thinking of like I went to a Rangers game the other day, and I went in there, and this is COVID related, but mm-hmm. I went in there and they had each every other sink blocked off for social distancing, so you can't. Washer. You know, there's a full stadium. Right. People are coming in, and there's every other sink is 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 marked off. And because every other sink is marked off, you have a line building behind the sinks that are open because there's not enough uh, people have to wash their hands. Luckily, at least somebody was washing their hands. But it it, it, it was it seemed to me like a, an illustration of what you're talking about here because th- this stuff is like visible to us. We're like, oh, we're, we're safe. Look at, it. I mean, you know, we're not going to get COVID. The the sinks are marked right. off. So, it's doing nothing. For
1: so there's it. a big there's a big. Uh misinterpretation where everyone thinks that safety and security are the same thing. Mm -hmm. Safety is an emotion. It's Mm. how I feel. Security is a state of being. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking like an umbrella, an umbrella, the canopy that's that's blocking the rain, that's security. How you feel underneath being warm and dry, that's safety. So saying that, oh, this place Mm. is safe. Well, you may feel safe there, but it may not actually be safe. And so the safety trap is a, is a, a phrase I coined a few years ago when I was talking to my clients about how sometimes feeling safe is the most dangerous thing we can do. Mm. Because what often happens is we allow ourselves to, through these safety traps, fall into this false sense of security when our fear has been abated, but risk remains. Mm -hmm. So whether that be, Someone like someone, my neighbors are all freaking out. What kind of security system should we get? Should we get guns? Should we get a dog? All right. that fun stuff. But a couple of weeks are going to go by. Nothing's going to happen. They're going to lose their emotional investment mm. in all of those safeguards. Their fear is going to go down. But the risk of a home invasion hasn't changed until someone breaks into another house. And then they're going to go from that that pendulum swinging from hyperplacency to, con, to oh, I'm sorry, from hyper. Com, Hyper vigilance to complacency. Sure, sure, yeah, it's so
0: true. Because I know it's when when I've 100% had true. you just it, it, if it's not constantly like you know that if that emotion doesn't hit you, you don't act. Right. So you're talking more about like a state of mind where you live all the time, not in a state of fear, but a state of, of
1: being prepared, right? Like it, but to kind of notice the things going around you, just to be present in the mm-hmm. the pre incident indicators that are out there. I think one of the One of the easier ways to kind of frame it in the the mind of the audience is to when you're driving, you understand the risks that are out there. Someone who's bobbing and weaving, not using their their uh, turn signal to change lanes or you see the guy who's like crazily flying up behind you. You may get out of the way. Mm -hmm. You're you're much more cognizant of those of those uh, those risks so that you can put the safeguards in place to help keep you safe but as soon as we get out of our cars and go about our everyday life, we're just like, oh, everything's fine. Nothing's gonna happen. Right. <laughs> and then something does happen. You're like, wow, how did that happen? Yeah, shocking to you. <laughs> and then people go, well, you know, it's, like we, it's one of those things where you, there's almost like an inattentive blindness. We don't stub right. our toes on the things we notice. We stub our toes on the things we don't. Mm. But it's not like that toy just came out of out of the right. out of the matrix and arrived <laughs> on your on your, your kitchen floor. I mean, that happens to
0: me sometimes in my house. Uh, that, but that's just you know. I think that's just me. I'm That's pretty just sure. George. Uh, yeah, George, George, the uh, the skinny pig. George yes. is sabotaging your kitchen. Yes, he is. Um, is it, but, so. The book is interesting, I think, from a if you're you know um, a parent, right? Your parent, your your kid's going off to college. Now, I think of my kids going down the street, and I start losing my mind. Right, my kid growing up and going to college, it freaks me out. I, you know, not everyone can be Glenn Beck and afford Spencer Corson to make sure they don't die every day. How does somebody who is in a situation where they're going off to college to uh, you know on their own for the first time? First of all,
1: I think is this is the perfect book to send to give to. I would not send your kid off to college without this book. Yeah. I think this is the, the perfect book mm. for you to give to your child because listen, I, I always have clients who come up to me like, well, listen, if I'm like handcuffed and blindfolded in the back of a trunk, like how do I get out of it? I'm like. Well, so many bad decisions got made before that point. That's <laughs> it's not a time like, to start My buddy about Clint it. Emerson has a book, the 100 yeah. Deadly Skills. That's a great book for if you're in the back of the truck. Yes. This book is about not putting yourself in that situation in the right. first place. don't get into the truck right. somehow. So, yeah. But how do people get into the truck? Well, they employ avoidance, or they're overconfident, or they, uh, uh, they prescribe a false equivalence, or they adhere to a false authority. If you're at a ball, and so what I basically do in this book is I structure each chapter, here's what happened, here's how it was allowed to happen, and here's how you can keep it from happening to you. Mm. And these aren't terror concerns, these aren't you know mass violence attacks, these aren't, listen, if someone tells you, you know, if you go to the ballpark and the security guard tells you that this is where your seat is, that's, he's well within his authority to tell you where your seat is. Mm-hmm. But I would not go to that security guard if there was a massive act or a mass casualty event, right, right? right. So it's all about knowing, about framing, properly framing and managing your own expectations about what it means to be safe. You go to a store and you see all those security cameras and the guards and everything that's, and you may feel safe. You may lower your sense of vigilance because you're like, oh, this store takes security very seriously. But all those safeguards are there for the products.
0: Yeah. They are not there for you. Uh, I was thinking about um, a little bit when you were talking to Glenn today, you're talking about, uh, you know, being aware in these situations and and knowing what's going on and i was at, i was at i was mentioned this rangers game afterward i was at the the, the whatever the texas live thing is next door right. and it's like back to 2019 like it's like right. what full fledged, yeah right. what what pandemic right everyone's out there it's like it was wild right and it's wild i think because of covid right people have been jammed inside mm-hmm. for a year and they're just, they just, just want to get out. out. And just, like, yeah. just let Every me out of the Every 25-year-old who wanted to be partying with other 25-year-olds for the last year now wants to really go out and party with 25-year-olds. And what struck me as I, was, as I was thinking about this, and this is why I'm not cool, is that afterward, I was thinking of the same thing's going to happen with bad guys. Bad guys didn't have crowds to attack. Bad guys didn't have major crowds they could go in and, and do pickpockets. They didn't have any of this stuff going on. They're going to let loose too. Yeah, there were no school shootings in 2020 because there was no school. Right, no school. Now school's back. Right. Now gatherings are back. Yeah. All of this stuff. And, and what are we seeing? We're seeing and we're, and yeah, and we're seeing it. 150 back
1: up. so far this year.
0: Is that a way? I mean, like, are we in for that type yes. of
1: of season? Yes. We are going to see an exponential increase in. Um, just people who have grievance that didn't have a way to. Mm. So on the pathway to violence, there's always a grievance. There's an ideation they can do something about that grievance. Research and planning, breach, and then attack. Right, go, th- go through those again. Okay, so. I hate you. Yes, I want oh, thank you. you. I, I, I can alleviate that grievance by having you be dead. Right. I'm going to do the research and planning to figure out how to kill you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to breach whatever security features you have in place to prevent me from doing that, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to attack you. This is all very terrifying as you, as you personalize it. Now, for about a year, all anyone's had is the ability to harbor a grievance right. and to have some ideation about what they could do about it mm-hmm. because they couldn't get out of their house to do the research and planning. They couldn't get out of their house. I mean, maybe they could do some preliminary looking up sure, online. Sure. But what we are seeing is, is really the, the aftershocks of a year spent in isolation, which we are not as social creatures meant to be. And we are now seeing that, that pressure cooker finally boiling over. And if there is not some kind of a mental health factor that can help ease that tension and, and manage that release, you're going to see that pressure cooker blow.
0: And there really isn't, right? The, it, like there is, does not seem to be, uh, you know, in this country, a, uh, a particularly effective mental health uh, apparatus that is
1: dealing with these things. There, unfortunately, there is not. And so what we have to do as a family, as friends, as community, and as a country is have a willingness to help those who are hurting. Because these people don't just wake up one day and say, hey, I want to do harm. Mm-hmm. They are consistently displaying behavioral anomalies, which are outside the, the realms of everyday behavior. There is what is known as leakage, where they may be expressing. To, so I may not say I want to kill you, but I may say to someone else how much I want to kill Stu. Mm-hmm. I may rant online. I may, uh, you know, uh, there's a million ways that mm-hmm. people can can communicate their grievance and the ideation that they want to do something about that grievance. And whether that be our interpersonal communications with with friends and family, or the social media companies looking out for those warning signs online, or the teachers and the administrators or the human resources people at our buildings, having a willingness to help those are hurting because helping those are hurt, I mean, our willingness to help another is very often the first step to saving ourselves. Mm. Uh,
0: All right, last one for me.
1: You, uh were with
0: a the the secret service of the private sector right yes. i mean like legitimately every i mean glenn's nothing compared to the group that, that, that gavin de protects i mean the, glenn's like the, the the dopiest c-list celebrity in that <laughs> group um big big names huge people from all around the country Sure. you then go to your pri- a private security company you start yourself yes um and you're again working with high level companies high level corporations this is this the stuff that's in this book is stuff that you charge a lot of money for. Yeah. And 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 spend a lot of time and, and a still, lifetime really still do. acquiring yeah. right? and
1: still do. So why why write the book? The tragedy at Sandy Hook was a turning point for me. What I realized in that moment was that my skill set was being employed by the top one percent. Not everyone will know the luxury of having their own security detail, right. but every single one of us deserves to be protected. And so one of the reasons I got into protection was because I wanted to save more lives than I took in combat. And I'm, my hope is that this book can help to exponentially save more lives than I could ever, sur- than I could ever save walking right shoulder.
0: Right, because you can't protect
1: every single person, but if people can get the basic skills. Yeah, the biggest fear of any protector is not being there when they're needed most. So if I can help people to not get into that situation in the first place, that's a day well done for me.
0: Well, here you go, and this is uh, this is not sp- uh, course in security group prices here. This is within everyone's uh, everyone's ability to afford and uh, check out. It's called the Safety Trap: Security Experts' Secrets for Staying Safe in a Dangerous World. If you got a kid going to college, as Spencer points out, this they should absolutely go there with the knowledge that's in this book. It's coming out on May 18th. Spencer, great to see you, man. Thanks for doing this. Dude, thank you so much. All right, back in a second. So the Elon Musk Saturday Night Live experiment, depending on what metric you're judging it on, was a success. I mean, ratings, it was a success. Up from a 3.6 from the most recent episode to a 4.7. So you're talking about, what, 25 30%. uh, Nice little increase there. Uh, Not the highest of the season. Uh, Dave Chappelle was the highest of the season when he had a 5.7. But uh, that's a pretty good number. And, uh, you know, Musk... Again, he's not a comedian. He's a billionaire business owner, right? But I thought he did a pretty good job with his monologue. It was pretty, pretty. It was better than I thought it was going to be. I've seen a lot of interviews with Elon Musk, and he's not exactly the most dynamic guy uh, in the interviews. So it was a little questionable how comedy would come out from uh, Elon Musk. But it did pretty well. In uh, the uh, monologue, he announced he had Asperger's, which is, I guess, the first time that was ever known. He uh, mentioned it in the uh, in the monologue, saying he was the first host whoever had Asperger's, Uh, actually Dan Aykroyd apparently uh, was diagnosed as a child with Asperger's, so he's technically the second host uh, with Asperger's, but that was pretty interesting. Um, And um, Dogecoin, of course, went up. It was interesting to watch, if you're watching Dogecoin, uh, as I was. Uh, the, 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 it went all, it went shooting up northward to about 70 cents right at like 1130 Eastern time when, when Saturday Night Live started. And then it just went uh, down pretty significantly. It's funny, people were just all had the same idea. Basically, let's just ride this Elon Musk wave on Saturday Night Live and see what happens. Um, uh, SpaceX will now be launching a Dogecoin funded moon satellite called Doge One. So that's coming in 2022. So it seems like this thing, if you don't know anything about this, I, you're forgiven to, to skip forward 60 seconds. But let me at least rant on this for a second. After Dogecoin dropped from like 70 cents to 50 cents, every freaking blue check comes out and says, oh, gosh, I'm surprised that Dogecoin thing fell apart. I, that's a real, all these people are, you know, losing money on Dogecoin. Guys, it was one fifth of a cent a year ago. Here's the thing about cryptocurrency. Basically, and uh, there are some exceptions to this, but let me just lay it up this way. Basically, every investment ever made in cryptocurrency has made money with the exception of Dogecoin over the past week. That is not a bad record. It is not something that every blue check could say. How, Look at these idiots who probably bought when the thing was two cents and now lost uh, from 70 to 50 as if it's this catastrophic failure. It's a joke, cryptocurrency, and people are making millions off of it. Can we not just enjoy this for other people? Back in a second. Pretty soon I'm gonna have to get a new refrigerator just for built bars. My wife likes them chilled. So they they take up an entire shelf of the refrigerator and you might say, hey, Stu, you don't need all those shelves. You eat too much as it is. It's a great point, however, it's still my real estate there, right? I mean, I should be able to put stuff on the shelf, but no, it's filled with built Bars. Bilt Bars are low calorie. Built Bars are high fiber. Built, built Bars are low carb. Built Bars do pretty much everything you'd want them to do, any food. I mean, it's like the optimum food when it comes to actually all the statistics about it, but here's the thing, it tastes good. We're talking about real taste. Cookies and cream, caramel brownie, uh, raspberry. Uh, There's all sorts of great flavors they have. And if you love um, uh, a a great candy bar, you're gonna love Bilt Bar. It's not like a normal protein bar. It actually tastes good. I swear, it's amazing. My wife has turned people on to this uh, all over the country, and now I get to bring the message to you as well and spread, uh, evangelize a little bit for BuiltBar.com. BuiltBar.com, promote uh, promote uh, your wellness, promote your well being, uh, promote your taste buds. I mean, they deserve it. Stew15 is the promo code of 15% off your first order. Promo code is Stew15. For 15% off BuiltBar.com, it's BuiltBar.com, code Stew15. So uh, COVID-19 is airborne. Shockingly, you're knowing that right before it ends. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the CDC is now acknowledging it's uh, been more airborne. They had previously said it's not you're not really getting it from surfaces. So this isn't a huge surprise, but it is a major change. I don't think it's I mean, it's not just big droplets flying through the sky. Uh, airborne makes more sense. It also um, explains why you can stay six feet apart and not necessarily avoid the virus completely. Um, It's funny because as the CDC says, yeah, by the way, it is airborne. Anthony Fauci is saying like, ah, maybe it's time to really, you know, relax these indoor mask mandates. They don't make much sense anymore. Again, Fauci takes a lot of a beating. I I don't need to to add on to it, honestly, but it, it is kind of funny that, you know, it's he's a he's I think he's a tough guy for people to read. People just, you know, I think the main thing with Fauci is people just don't want to hear from him anymore. They're just, he's just associated with this awful time and they don't want to hear word one from him anymore. Ron DeSantis is signing a new law banning governments from regulating guns. I, I like DeSantis. I'm a fan. I'm mean, You know, I like him so far. I'm a fan. I will say there are a lot of these things he's doing from top down. This one I totally agree with, but like a little worried about approach occasionally uh, with Ron DeSantis. Just... I just even when they're things that you like, I just get a little nervous when the governor's saying like local governments can't do X, Y and Z. I don't know how I feel about the approach. I guess that's where we are now. That's kind of the new world of conservatism. It's it's kind of more that way. It's not my way, but it's more that way. And I know people love DeSantis. We'll keep watching that for you back in a second. I'm still obsessing of this uh, self-assessment. How privileged am I? I think this week we should do a live stream on YouTube or something of going through this entire thing. It's too long for the actual show, but it would be a fascinating study to find out how white privileged I am. I'm so white, I'm so privileged.